0: H five, this will be our last song. We
1: have a great high dream of green threats passed through the heaven. Mm-hmm.
0: Father, in Jesus' holy name. Happy Day of Atonement, Father. We pray, Lord, that you have had a a good Day of Atonement all across the world in the different time zones, and that you'll continue to have a blessed Day of Atonement as we continue in some of the time zones here in America and other places as we continue the Day of Atonement, some upon the earth, that you would have a blessed day, a blessed night, that we would bring a smile to your face. We pray that your people be edified and protected by your Spirit and your Word. Heavenly Father, we pray for special anointing on this special worship service, for this special holy, and sacred day of atonement. Thank you, Father, that you have given us more understanding about this day. Thank you, Father, for your presence in us, for your mercy, for your grace, and for your love. Thank you, Father, that this day has very real significance for us in this day and in this time and forevermore. We praise your holy name. Ask, Father, that you be glorified in this service and your people edify. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise Jesus. Good morning or good evening, Kiki, and uh, greetings to all of our other brothers and sisters, Brother A.J and anyone else that may listen to the services. This is the Day of Atonement, October the 19th, 2018 A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In God's calendar, it is, of course, the 10th day of the 7th month. The Day of Atonement is always on the 10th day of the 7th month. Let us turn in the Book of the Law, Volume 1, to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, of course, is the main chapter of the Bible dealing with the Holy Day. There's a few other chapters, at least one or two other chapters, that deal directly with a summary of the Holy Days, but not as much as this chapter does. This chapter has a more comprehensive list of the Holy Days in one chapter. So we can always look to this chapter of Leviticus 23 when we are observing the Holy Days and when when we are studying or researching or thinking about the Holy Days, always go to this chapter among some of the others. Here in America, it is uh, 12 minutes after 7 o'clock in the morning. I understand that over in Korea and Australia, that part of the world, it is already after sunset. And so the fasting is already done there. And here we have got uh, almost 12 more hours. Of fasting so we're only in the middle of the fasting right now however it's not even the day of atonement yet because it's not even sunrise here yet so it's not even the day of atonement yet but perhaps might be by the time we get off the air by the time we're done with the broadcast but that's okay because we'll still worship him right here right now Amen. Because this is uh, the Day of Atonement uh, in many different time zones all across the world. Uh, It's already past the Day of Atonement for some people, and not even the Day of Atonement for us. Nevertheless, it is the time of fasting, because God did command us to not only fast on the Day of Atonement, but even on the ninth day of the month which is right now for us in this time zone. This is still the ninth day of the month until sunrise when the day of atonement will begin. Remember that all days, all days begin at sunrise. But he wants us to start fasting on the previous day, on the ninth day of the month, so that when that sun rises, when that day of atonement begins, our stomach is empty, And then we fast until sunset, and that fasting from sunrise until sunset on the day of atonement is a true fast, not having stuffed our stomachs full just before sunrise. We didn't get up early and have a big breakfast, but rather we started fasting on the ninth day of the month yesterday at sunset. Amen. So with that understanding, and also the understanding that God sees the entire earth at one time and feels the entire earth and feels the entire universe all at one time, even if it's not the Day of Atonement yet here, and even if it's past the Day of is results, It is still the day of atonement in many different time zones. And God sees every time zone at one time. So for God, which dwells in us, it's already the day of atonement. For God, who dwells inside our temples, it is the day of atonement for him. And we worship him. Amen. And we observe these commandments, we keep these commandments, not only out of the law, not only because the law says so, but because we love him, and we acknowledge him, and we acknowledge his days, his time, his anointing. And we acknowledge, we acknowledge also the great and wonderful revelations that he has given us concerning the significance of this day. We acknowledge the past of this day and the current of this day, and we acknowledge the future of this day. Amen. Before we read Leviticus 23, I would give a very brief summary of the meaning of this day so that you can have it in mind as we read the Scriptures. The meaning of this day is in Leviticus 23, which I won't turn there right now, but you can put it in your notes in chapter 16, Leviticus chapter 16, there is a separation of two goats. And one goat represents people that are saved, covered by the blood of Jesus. Now, I know that other scriptures refer to us as lambs, but and. Chapter 16, we are referred to as a goat that is atoned for, a goat that is saved. In other words, we used to be goats, but we have become lambs by the blood of Jesus. Then the other goat in that chapter represents goats that are not saved, they are not atoned for, they are cast out of the camp. And so, because of those two goats in chapter 16, this day represents a separation, a separation of people, a separation between those that are saved and those that are not saved. It is a day of separation. Not everybody is with us today, only the saved. Only the saved will observe this day, this date on the calendar. And even those that observe this day, not all of those were saved because you can keep all of the commands, all the do's and the don'ts and still not be saved. But the saved will keep this day. Amen. But they would do it not only by the commandment, but also out of love. The other meaning of this day is the day of atonement. The word atonement has multifolde meanings, many meanings, different meanings. And one of the meanings of it is it is the day of repay, the day of vintage, the day of wrath, the day of repay. So it does have the symbolism also of that there will be people that will be given judgment and wrath for a year plus 41 and a half days. And the the atonement also means to be at one as well. Some people will be separated from the body of Christ and be cast out from the body of Christ, be cast out from the kingdom, cast out from the congregation. Those people are not covered in the blood of Jesus. Their baptism is void. They will be given judgment and wrath. But the other ones will be at one with God, and they will not fall away from God. They will dwell with God. They will tabernacle with God forever. They will not leave God but be in unity, in agreement, and in love with God. We are the bride of Christ. We are at one with our bridegroom, at one with Atonement also means to be atoned for, that there has been a sacrifice for you. That there that your sin has been atoned for. So that is a third meaning of the word atonement. Revenge or repay or wrath is one meaning, or at unity is a second meaning, and a third meaning is the that you have a sacrifice that has atoned or a pleased God. Atoned for your sins means that a sacrifice has a pleased God, has satisfied God, has, has calmed his anger against you. And therefore, you do not have to suffer the wrath. You don't have to suffer his anger for the year and for the 41 and a half days and for the Lake of fire. For all the different time periods. You do not have to suffer his anger and the judgment and the punishment. Therefore, you have been atoned for. Another meaning of this day is that this is going to be our wedding date. We are going to be called up into heaven on this date. Not necessarily this date in the Roman calendar, but in God's calendar of the 10th day of the seventh month, we will be called up to heaven if we are prepared and ready and mature enough and clean enough, holy enough and pure enough to return into spirit on the day of atonement at the blowing of the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet of the seventh seal. Amen. And therefore, not only will we we also be called up on this date, But also, this will become our wedding anniversary. Happy anniversary. Amen. A wedding anniversary. This day has a lot of meaning, significance. This is a sacred day. This is a special day. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ happy days of atonement. But this day has both happiness and mourning to it. Most, most of the holy days are called fiestas. This day is not called a fiesta. We cannot say fiesta of atonement. It's not called that. This day is only called a day of atonement, not Fiesta. We had the fiesta of trumpets a few days ago, and a few days from now, we're going to have the fiesta of tabernacles. The word fiesta means party, what it means. Celebration, a party, a jumping up and down, a a reeling to and fro, and celebration. This is not a fiesta. Because this is a day of affliction, a day of fasting, a day of mourning, crying, weeping, and yet joy at the same time. This is a conflicted day. Amen. It is a day of sadness and mourning and weeping and fasting and affliction because it's going to be a day of vintage, a day of wrath, a day of repay a day of judgment for a lot of people that will be separated from God, cast out from God's presence and having to suffer the last 41 and a half day of wrath and for some people the lake of So in that way, it is a day of anger and sadness and mourning and death and judgment and destruction. But at the same time, It is a day of celebration for those that will be called up into the kingdom. And this will be our wedding anniversary. So for us, it is also a day of joy. So it is a day of confliction, a day of different feelings. But it's not exactly a fiesta. It shall become a fiesta for us, but for others, only a day of mourning. (laughs) let's read now the scripture in Leviticus chapter 23 (laughs) going down to the section on page 143 of the Day of Atonement verse 26 Verse 26, and Jesus spoke to Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month is a day of reparation, repay, atonement. It shall be a holy, summoned, a court order, summoned, assimilate to you. And you shall humble yourselves, humble your souls or your appetite and offer a whole burnt offering to Jesus. Now that word humble is a difficult word to translate. It can be translated as humble, and it can also be translated as afflict, to afflict your souls. Now if we look in different places of, and it is used in different verses and different contexts, um, it still remains a difficult word to translate, and I did go with the word "humble, But we also need to understand what it means to humble yourself, especially in the context of the day of Atonement. Sometimes to humble yourself, you just keep your mouth shut. That's a very good way to humble yourself. Be quiet, listen to others. To let them speak, put others before yourself, to sacrifice so that others may have when you don't, to pay your tithes even though it means that you would be sacrificing, to put money into the ministry even though it's a self-sacrifice. Different ways that people can humble themselves. But another way we humble ourselves is by fasting, which is affliction. So we can humble ourselves by afflicting our soul by fasting. Now, the word fasting is never found anywhere in the Bible concerning the Day of Atonement, even though we do fast this day. Why is that? Even though you don't see the word fasting. Anywhere with the Day of Atonement in the Bible, as far as I know, and that is because of this word right here, humble, is because it can also mean afflict, to afflict your soul, which is more than humbling, because you can humble yourself in many different ways, but it doesn't necessarily always afflict your soul. To afflict your soul is more than being silent. It is suffering. It is an actual suffering, real suffering. It is something that pains you, agonizes you. And to go without food is definitely a way to afflict your soul. And your flesh, both your spirit and your flesh. Your soul is spirit, your flesh is flesh, and you're afflicting both by fasting. And everybody agrees with different denominations, different groups, they all agree that this is referring to fasting. There's no doubt about it. And then the word so, or appetite. That's another difficult word to translate, and it can be translated again as two different words, either as so, or as appetite. And so you could translate this that you shall afflict your appetite. Or you can translate it as humble yourself. Or you can translate it as humble your appetite or afflict your soul. So you could translate it four different ways, this phrase. Because you got two words, and both words can be translated two ways. But no matter how you translate it, the meaning is going to be the same, especially when you get the motifold meaning of both words. It is an affliction of your soul. It is an affliction of your appetite. It is an affliction of your soul. It is a humbling. All of this is true. Ever, No matter how you translate it, it will still be true. Amen. Then, offering a burnt offering to Jesus. We know in the book of Revelation It says that our prayers is put on a burning altar before the throne of God in heaven. And therefore, our prayers is our burnt offering. And of course, when you're fasting, you're going to be praying. Father, please help me to get done, get through with this fasting. Help me to not go up. Help my stomach to calm down, release my pain. Help me to get through this time. And... Also prayers, not just for the flesh, but prayers we should be praying any time that we fast, we should be praying that we would draw closer to him. Because there's a reason that we afflict ourselves. It's not just that we want to go hungry. We are, we are afflicting ourselves because we want to crucify the flesh and increase the spirit of God we want to draw closer to God this is going to be the date that we're called up to him amen this is going to be the date that we're going to be called up to God we want to be called up to God even today as we fast as we worship when we're singing the songs before the sermon we should want to be called up to God in that time. John was called up to God. The Bible says so. Elijah was. Different people was. Even though they did not die when they was called up, I'm not talking about an out-of-body experience as far as a near-death experience, but nevertheless, I am talking about That you get lost in your worship where you kind of just almost totally tune out people and you forget the people are around you and you forget about the flesh and you just have your mind totally on God so much that you're so Feels the presence of God, and you feel as if you have escaped the physical realm, because the truth is, your soul, uh, although it must dwell in your body to stay alive, your soul can reach beyond your flesh. We are spirit. We are not flesh. Your hands and your toes is not you. It is not who you are. It is only the vessel that you dwell in. You are not your body. You are your spirit. And your spirit does not have the perfect shape that you think it has. Your spirit is air. It is breath. He breathes into man and Adam became a living soul. It is air, it is breath, and air does not have a shape. And even Jesus said that when you are born again, you are spirit and not flesh. And that if you are born again, it is like the wind that does not even know where it's going, that it is like wind blowing. It does not have a a perfect 100% shape like you might think rather it is air. I won't get no more into that, but I would like people to worship God more and just lose themselves in worship and draw closer to God. The book of Ephesians says that we are seated in heaven. It says we are seated in heaven now, not four years from now or ten or a hundred years from now, but right now we are seated in heaven. We can visit heaven. We can visit heaven. And we can visit heaven many different ways and, and feel the presence of God and hear the voice of God and be inspired from on high and be the spirit that we really are if we would lose this flesh. And we need to lose this flesh through prayer, through fasting. We need to afflict and humble this flesh and forget about our suffering and just put our mind on loving Jesus and just totally become overwhelmed with his presence. Amen. We must decrease so that he may increase the Bible says think about these things and and grow in your worship grow in your worship now our prayers is the Hope burnt offering and says we should do no work on this day in verse 28 and so forth and then let's go all the way down to verse 32 it should be a holy rest day to you and you should humble yourselves or reflect your appetite from the ninth day of the month from sunset until sunset on the tenth day you shall observe this rest day now let's go over to book of Jonah in the book of prophets volume number four prophets volume four book of Jonah we haven't been there in a long time and this is page 173 Look at Jonah chapter three Jonah chapter three page one hundred seventy three. And the reason we're going to read this is to show how that fasting or yeah. That fasting may be a mournful way of afflicting your soul and humbling yourself, but it will lead to joy. And this holy day has the theme of right here, right now, we fast, we afflict, we humble ourselves so that we will, in the future, be in the very presence of God. All the way, 100% in the future when we are called up to God. And not only the catching up to God, but also He's going to come down to this earth. And rather, you're lost or you're saved, God is going to be here on this earth one of these days. Amen. And this weeping and this tribulation, this suffering, this, all the wickedness of this world and the crying and the weeping and the fasting and the poverty and the starvation and all of the misery of this world is one of these days going to change over into a time of joy and celebration. Amen. And so Jonah chapter 3 is going to tell us how people went from, from fasting to victory chapter 3, verse 1, the word of Jesus came to Jonas the second time, saying, Rise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it according to the former preaching which I spoke to you of. And Jonas arose and went to Nineveh as Jesus had spoken. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of about three days' journey. And I think what that means is if you go from one end of the town to the other end of the town, it would take three days to walk through the city from one to the end. And I remember back then they could walk many miles in one day. They were in shape in that day and time. Uh, and so it would take the three days journey to get from one end of the city to the other. Then verse 4, and Jonas began to enter into the city about one day's journey into the town, and he proclaimed and said, yet yeah, three days and none of us should be overthrown. Now, you may remember that we have always been told 40 days that the city would be destroyed in 40 days. That's always always been told. But this says three days that none of us should be destroyed and not 40 days. But... I studied into this last night, and I'm going to change where it says three days in this verse, not the previous verse. The previous verse is fine. A three days journey into the town is fine. But this verse, number four, in three days it should be overthrown. It should say 40. And the reason I'm going to change it to 40 and the reason that it did say three is this that the Alpha and Omega Bible is mostly translated on the Codex Vaticanus from around 350 A.D. But it's not based solely on only that one Bible manuscript. I have also based it on several other Bible manuscripts, both older and newer, but mostly on the Codex Vaticanus and manuscripts older. Than that. The Codex Vaticanus, on which it is mostly based, says three days that Nineveh will be destroyed. And Codex Vaticanus is what I give the most priority to in most cases, but not in every case, because it does have errors. There is no such thing as a Bible manuscript without errors, it simply does not exist. Anymore because the Bibles have been burned, they've been destroyed, they've decayed over the years, over the thousands of years, they've been water damaged or by fire or by time and decay. And they've been retranslated over and over and over and over and over. And, over and, over and with every translation, there is a problem. With every, 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 every translation, there is a problem with the translation. Even the Bible itself, the Apotheca, says that in the translation, you lose meaning. It says that in the Apotheca, that with the translation, you lose meaning. So there are problems any time you're going to translate the scriptures. And what I discovered last night is that there is a Greek manuscript fragment a small fragment of a Greek manuscript that is older than the Codex Vaticanus for the Book of Jonah. A small fragment that does show this verse that is older than the Codex Vaticanus that does say 40 days. And it is in Greek, which we know is Pale Hebrew. And two other manuscripts. That are also older than the Codex Vaticanus that are in aromatic, that also says 40 days. And even though those even those even though that those two others are in aromatic, they're still older than the Codex Vaticanus, and we can't just completely ignore them since they are older. And they confirm what the Greek says, and the Greek confirms the aromatic. All three agree. One Greek, two Aramaic, all three odor in Codex Vaticanus, and so we do have those three manuscripts. I can just ignore them, and um, I do believe that forty days makes more sense because it, it would take him three days to get through the town from one end to the other, warning the people. It would take three days just to do that. Then it would take time for the word to reach the population for the information, the prophecy to spread to the people from word of mouth, from one to another. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have telephone. So it would have took time for the information of the warning of the destruction to reach the people and then to reach not only the citizens but the king and then it would have took time for the people to fast and we know that the scriptures if we were to keep reading says that the people fasted and they repented that would have taken more than three days amen so three days for Nineveh to be destroyed really doesn't make sense and so because that we use common sense And we know the love of God. We know the long-suffering of God. We know the patience of God. We know the forbearance of God. It only makes sense for it to be 40 days. And then verse 5 says, And the men of Nineveh believed theos and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloths from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from off his throne and took off his remnant from him and put on sackcloth and sat on ashes. And proclamation was made, and it was commanded in Nineveh by the king. Looks like typo there, and his great men, Let me write that down to six, The Where it says, and his great men, is missing a letter D. Let me make a note of that real fast. In Nineveh by the king and his great men, saying, Let not men or cattle or oxen or sheep taste anything, even their animals fasted, nor feed nor drink water. Now we're not commanded, we are not commanded that our pets fast. We are not commanded that for the Day of Atonement, for our pets to fast. But in this verse, in the time of Jonah, the king commanded, the human king, and this was not the Day of Atonement, as far as we know, that the king commanded for the animals to fast. And verse 8, so Mia and cattle were clothed with sackcloth and cried earnestly to Theos, And they turned every one of them their evil way from their evil way and from the iniquity that was in their hands, saying, who knows if Theos will repent and turn from his fierce anger, and so we shall not perish. I don't like that word repent when it refers to God, because that sounds like he sinned and we know that God has never sinned because he is holy and he is light and there is no darkness in him, the Bible says. But the reason it says repent is because the word repent means to turn around or to change direction. And we always use the word repent because we're the ones always repenting. But since this is referring to God, I'm going to change that. Instead of repent, it should say, because it's talking about God, I think you should say, uh, okay. uh, relent. event, relent, relent. Does that mean change direction or turn around? In a way, it does. I have to look more into that word later, but relent might be a good word. I will look into that more later, or or we could say turn. Uh, turn around, or we can say change direction. Relent might work as well. I'll look more into it later. But it would be one of those three words or three phrases: either turn around, or change direction, or relent. It turns him is angry. And verse ten, Theo their works and that they did turn from their evil ways and Theos uh, repented or turned around or relented or changed direction of the evil which he had said that he would do to them and he did it not. And you know, Once the 40 days passed and the destruction did not come, you know that the weeping or the mourning and the affliction and the fasting turned to joy, amen, and perhaps celebration, amen. And you know they would have remembered that every year. They would have have remembered the date, amen, and they would have, however, 40 years later they were destroyed. Or perhaps it was, I would have to double check, but I did read last night, it was 40 years later, but I did not double check it to see if that was accurate, because you know you can read anything on the internet. But I read last night, 40 years later, that they were destroyed, but I know whether it was 40 years or 100 or 200, whenever it was, they eventually forgot. They forgot that God delivered them. Amen. And a lot of people forget the mercy of God. We should not forget the mercy of God. We have the different holy days in the spring, in the summer, in in the fall of the year, autumn, to remind us of all the things that we need to remember, the mercy, the love of God, the sacrifice, what he did for us, what he continues, what he will do for us. We have, we have all these holy days to keep us in remembrance of the mercy of God and of coming judgment and everything. We should never forget, even if it takes a 100 years more for Jesus to come back, we should never, ever, ever forget. We should not fall away from God. Amen. Now this... Like I said, most of the holy days are fiestas and celebrations, but they still remind us of judgment, even like the day of the trumpets, or fiesta, rather, fiesta of trumpets, also called the day of shouting. It is a celebration, but it also symbolizes the seventh seal being woven, which is a day of wrath, a day of repay, a day of vengeance. Being poured out. So that day also has good and bad meanings as well. And if you think of Passover, Passover is a day like of atonement that it is a solemn day. The Passover is not called fiesta, neither is atonement. Passover is not called fiesta. Passover is only the day of Passover, or the evening, or the night of Passover. And remember that on the night of Passover, all the firstborn of Egypt died. And Israel had to stay in their houses overnight. And, it was a, it was a, and their blood was over the doorpost. So it was a day of a little solemn time. But then on the first day of unleavened bread, it was a celebration. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they left Egypt, on the first day of unleavened bread, it became a celebration. So the weeping endured for a night, but joy came in the morning. Amen. There was weeping on the night of Passover, but joy and fiesta came on the first day of unleavened bread. Amen. So we saw in the book of Jonah, fasting turned to joy. Evidently, although we don't read about them celebrating, we know that they would have had joy when they did not see the judgment and the destruction. Now let's go to Book of Esther, Esther chapter four, in the same Book of Prophets. And Esther starts. Let me find. Oh no, that's in uh, Volume three, of the Book of History. Volume number three. now I get it right in a minute volume two. Volume number two, the book of history. Esther is on page two fifty of volume two, history. Page two fifty is where Esther starts. But we're going to go to Chapter Four. So we'll turn another page. Esther Chapter Four. Esther Four, Verse Fifteen. Esther 4, verse 15. Her real name was Hadasha. And Hidasha sent the man that came to her to Mordecai, saying, Go and assemble the Jews that are in the town of Susha, and fast you for me, and eat not and drink not for three days, night and day. And I also and my maidens will fast. And then I would go into the king, contrary to the law, even if I must die. And the law that she's referring to is the law of the kingdom of Persia, where she was. And the law was there in the kingdom of Persia, that you do not go, that the women that the concubines and the queen would not go into the king unless he called them to come in to him. And she had not been called to come in to visit the king, and but she would take it upon herself to boldly go forth to the king, having not been called, knowing it could anger him, knowing that he could slay her right at the spot Because it was forbidden and actually against the law for her to go in to him without being called, but she was willing to risk her life, afflict her soul, crucify herself, basically for the good of the kingdom of the Jews. Amen. For the better good, for the greater good, for more people than just herself. She could have said. Hey, I'm a queen. Maybe he won't kill me. Even though Mordecai said, don't think that he won't kill you too. But the queen could have still said, Queen Hadassah, Esther, she could have still been very proudful. She could have, being a queen, being in the temple, the palace. She could have said to her, said, oh, he won't kill me. I'm beautiful, he likes me, he has chosen me as his queen, he won't kill me. But she took the advice of Mordecai to think more humbly. And being not only of his advice to think humbly, but of her own accord, she is the one that chose to fast. And she sent forth word, let all of us fast. And even though this is not the day of atonement, but rather it's talking about time or the days leading up to parents it is still the point of humbling ourselves, sacrificing ourselves for our kingdom, for our, our true king and our people, our kingdom. Amen. And let's go over to chapter 9. We know that because that, All of the Jews fasted, Mordecai fasted, Esther the queen fasted, and all of the Jews fasted. God heard their cry. God heard their weeping. God heard their affliction. Now, I like to also say it before I forget it, that even though there's no words in the Bible commanding you to not drink water, uh, for the Day of Atonement. It doesn't say how to afflict your soul, how to afflict your appetite. On the Day of Atonement, I do drink water because we don't have a commandment that says exactly how to fast for the Day of Atonement. It just says to afflict or appetite. and Afflict or soul, or humble or so, however you translate it. And it is a great affliction for me personally to go 24 hours without any snacks, without any sandwich, without any food. And I do have some medical conditions. And I do have extreme, extreme dry mouth even when I'm not fasting. So I believe the mercy of God, the grace of God, and the love of God, that he does allow me to drink water for atonement. And I believe He has the same mercy for most people. Amen. Then when we think about other fasting, when we fast at other times of the year when it's not commanded for us to fast, and we fast on our own accord for whatever reason, just to draw closer to Him, or for revelation, or for confirmation, or for healing, or for somebody else, those days that are not fasted, I mean not commanded to fast but we fast on our own accord we can choose whether we drink water or not whether we how we eat what we eat uh, when we do have the Daniel fast where, where Daniel said don't bring me any meat of the king but give us only vegetables and water for what was it 10 days to start with and We call that the Daniel fast. So I do believe that you can fast to do a juice fast. There was one time that I went 40 days where uh, I ate no meat, uh, no bread, no sugar, no artificial ingredients, uh, no chemicals. Everything for 40 days was only vegetables and water. And... uh, fruit juice, vegetable juice with no added sugar, no added uh, preservatives or ingredients other than uh, absorbent acid, which is at sea. So it was a type of fast. It was not a total fast. It was not the type of fast that Moses did for 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. It was not the 40 days that Jesus did with no food and water, um, but a type A fast what we call a Daniel fast only fruit and vegetables fruit juice vegetables juice water no chemicals no sugar no meat no bread and I do believe that God would would hear us in that type of fast and I believe you can fast in different ways because the Bible never 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 commands exactly how you fast and if God was strict on that then it would, it would tell us so. If God was strict about how we fast, it would tell us exactly how to fast because the Bible is very, 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 very detailed. The Bible is very detailed. So if he was strict on it, he would tell us how to fast. But he does not tell us how to fast, which tells me that he has allowance for different people that different people have different conditions, different medical conditions, different levels of strength, different levels of faith, so forth. However, I want to encourage people that as you begin to fast and fast more often, that you should grow in your fasting, just like you should grow in your worship, you should also grow in knowledge, and you should grow in perseverance, and you should grow in everything and in the measure of the Spirit, and in the measure of faith. And you should grow in your fasting. Go from having just a juice fast or a vegetable over to no food and just water at other times of the year. And go from a 12-hour fast to a 24-hour fast to a 36-hour to 48, from one day to two days to three days to four days, and grow in your fasting. Fasting is much, much neglected in uh, people who think that they are saved and go to church and read the Bible and try to live right. All those things are good, but fasting is much neglected. And someone recently told me that they're going to do a 40-day fast of pretty much similar to the one I described that I did. And But during their 40-day fast, they would also fast from the Internet, which they very, 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 very much needed to get off the Internet because the Internet is their worst enemy. Amen. And lo and behold, uh, they also said, but they're going to also include seafood, that during the 40 days, in addition to the water and the fruit juice and the vegetable juice and the fruits and the vegetables, that they would also continue to eat seafood, which you know who I'm talking about now. But his evil name will go unpronounced, just like a Y name that we do not want to hardly say, even though it's not wrong to say the Y names. I'd rather say a Y name than that M name. But how can you say that you are afflicting yourself how can you say that you are afflicting your appetite? How can you say that you're even humbling yourself when you say that you will continue to eat delicacies of seafood during that 40 days? that is not a fast. And lo and behold, not only that, but uh, I did see him at a hot dog shop just the other day. I did not go in. I wasn't there. I don't have the money to eat out. But I did see his car parked at the hot dog shop. I know he's not eating there. I know he's not inside there eating only a hot dog bun with no meat in it. When you go to the hot dog shop that serves only hot dogs and that's the only thing they have for the most part other than french fries and maybe you have a couple other sandwiches. You're not in there eating only vegetables. And I know for a fact, even though he said that during his 40 days he would also fast from the internet, he has signed in to the cult website almost every day. Because I'm checking and I'm looking. So he has not done his 40 day fast, he has not afflicted his soul, he has not humbled himself Amen. still eating out, still wasting his money while driving around probably with expired tags and no insurance. Instead of obeying the law, instead of saving his money up for the feast, instead of saving his money up for the, for the uh, holy days, and instead of uh, uh, buying Bibles for people and, and sacrificing himself, he is still blowing his money to this day. And has not fasted from the internet nor from hate. I said all of that not just to condemn him, which is very worthy of all the condemnation we could put upon him, very worthy of all the condemnation we could put upon him. But I said all that not just to condemn him, but also to help everybody to realize that if you're going to fast, it should be suffering. It should be an affliction, and you have to and need to grow in your fasting to where when you fast, you are suffering, so that it will cause you or encourage you to cry more, weep more, mourn more, and, more, and crucify, your, crucify your flesh more, so that your spirit be separated from your flesh and you go into the presence of god and you feel the presence of god and you worship god and you just kind of just pour out your soul upon the altar of god in heaven during that time And you're not going to do that enough just through having vegetables for 40 days now a vegetable fast for 40 days can be a, a affliction it can be a suffering to a certain extent, but not to the extent that we really need. That's not the only kind of fasting I ever did. I did other types of fasting that was more severe. And we're doing that today. A severe fast, a a, a fast that is a, a true affliction. And we need to do this type of fast, a Day of Atonement type of fast, more often where there's no food, no vegetables, no fruits, nothing, the only water, more often. Amen. Now, in the first few years, after I got saved, I did do it more often. And and I'm not saying this out of pride or uh, self-gloating or or self-exaltation or any of those reasons, but rather I want to get to a point here and, and let you first know in order to get to that point, I have to say that when I first came to Christ and during those first few years, I did fast more of the more extreme, totally no food, only water, more often, much more often than what I do now. I don't hardly fast anymore, and I'll tell you why. Because when you first come to God and you're first being delivered from drugs or homosexuality or alcoholism or porn or whatever it is that God has delivered you from, and really God delivers all of us from many different things, not just one or two things, it takes more fasting when you first come to God. It takes more fasting when you're first seeking that deliverance. It takes more. It requires more. You need more fasting in that time when you're first coming to God and when you're seeking deliverance for the big sins that you still have in your life when you first come to God. It's a process and it takes time to get everything out of your life. But you start with the big things, amen, so that you can live clean for God. And then as you live for God, the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year, year, you start getting rid of more and more of the big things and then you only really have little things left and it don't take as much fasting. Plus, Jesus did say that when you are with him, that you don't fast. Because people came to him and said, how come you and your disciples are not fasting? That's in the Bible, read it. People asked Jesus, why are you and your disciples, or maybe they just said the disciples, are not fasting? And he said something like, while you are with the bridegroom, why would you fast? But there's a day coming when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then shall you fast. So in other words, if you are already close to God, if you are close to God, if you already have Jesus in your presence, why would you fast? That is a day of celebration. If you're already in heaven, you're not going to, we're not going to be fasting in heaven. You know, the day of atonement, we're supposed to be fasting. We're commanded to fast, but we're going to be caught up on this day of fasting. you think we're going to continue to fast when we're caught up on this day of fasting? and we're called up on that date, are we going to continue to fast once we get into heaven? No. No. Even though we're going to be caught up during our fasting, we go up there to heaven, I guarantee you, I'm having a cup of wine and a big turkey leg, pizza or lasagna or something. On this day of fasting, Because once we have reached the level of being with Jesus, we don't have to fast. And how can you afflict your flesh if you don't have flesh? Once we are called up, we're not going to have a stomach. We're not going to have flesh and blood. We're not going to have intestines and stomach once we are called up. We're going to break our fast. It will go from weeping and affliction to celebration and fiesta on that day. Amen. Think about that. One of these days, we will be able to break our fast own a day of fasting and not, and not be criticized for it, not be condemned for it, not be judged for it, but rather He will expect us. He will actually expect us to break our fast when we are called up. Amen. And so the reason I don't fast as often as I used to is now I have reached a greater level of closeness to God. And once you reach that closeness to God, a, a, a close enough relationship with God, you don't have to fast as all. You don't. You really don't. You don't need to. And God doesn't require it. Once you reach a closeness, close enough relationship with God. But nevertheless, you should continue to fast. I'm not saying you never have to fast. You you do. You do. Absolutely. Continue to fast no matter how close you are to God until we do reach heaven. Amen. Because fasting can become only a ritual. And if if it's becoming only a ritual to you, then you need to stop fasting or at least not fast as often if it becomes a ritual. If it's just a ritual or if it's meaningless or if you're not really, you know, getting what you need from, from the fasting, then really you're just fasting in vain if it's not serving a purpose, if it's not working. And we know that the book of Isaiah says that the fasting from food, and this is God's words, it's not what he really wants. He said that. God said that, that the fasting from food is not what he really wants. What he really wants is our repentance and for us to help the widow and the the orphan and the poor and the needy. That is what he really wants. It's not starvation that he wants from us. He He does not want starvation from us. So you can go overboard on fasting. And there's a lot of people that think, oh, they're, they're high and they're holy because of how much they fast. You've got to watch yourself because the point of fasting is to humble yourself, not to exalt yourself.
1: But there are lots
0: and lots and lots of people that because they can fast so many days and they can fast and they, they've done this fast and they've done that fast and they've done this fast and they've done that fast and they fasted three days and they fasted seven days, it exalts them rather than afflicting them. They become exalted. They become proudful because of how much they fast. And that's wrong. And if you find that happening to you, you need to just stop fasting. Amen. So we do have to be careful about these things. There is a time to fast and there is a time not to fast. Amen. Now, we we'll go over here to Esther chapter 9, verse 19. Esther 9, verse 19. On this account, then, it is that the Jews dispensed in every foreign land, kept or keep the 14th day of Edar, which is the 12th month of the year, as a holy day with joy, sending portions each to his neighbor, meaning sending gifts and food to his neighbor. Even though they had been fasting, the fast is done. Because the deliverance came and the Jews were not slaughtered on the day of Purim. So it became days of feasting and joy and feasting and celebration and giving food and gifts to the neighbors. In verse 20, Mordecai has wrote these things in a book and sent them to the Jews, as many as that were in the kingdom of whatever his name is, both to them that were near and to them that were far, to establish these as joyful days. To keep the 14th and the 15th of Eddar, the 12th month. Verse 22 For on these days the Jews obtained rest from their enemies, and as to the month, which was Eddar, in which a change was made for them from mourning to joy, from sorrow to a good day, to spend the whole of it in good days of feasting and gladness, sending portions, gifts, and food to the friends and to the poor, not just your friends, but to the poor. And that's a good thing to do for the fiestas. Amen. Uh, You know, a good thing to do for any of the fiestas, or even for uh, the solemn days of Passover and Day of Atonement, is as an offering to the Lord, is you could go to the electric company or phone company or some kind of utilities or something and pay an amount on their electric bill or phone bill, whatever. You can do that. You can walk into the electric company office. You don't have to have an electric bill with you. You don't have to have the account number with you. All you need is the person's address And go into the office and say, I want to pay $20 or $10 or or the entire bill, whatever, on this person's electric. You can do that with the phone bill. You can do that with any of the bills of any place. And you can even do that on the Internet as well. You don't have to be that person to pay that person's bill. And you don't have to pay the whole bill if you can't afford it. You can just put $5 down on it or $10 or $20. And don't even tell that person. Do not even tell that person you did it. Because when they pay their bill, they will be notified. You don't owe the whole amount. You only owe this amount. Somebody's already paid this And you should not tell them that you did it. Because it should only be between you and God. Because if you tell that person you did it, it's going to lead to pride. And you don't want pride to be creeping in to you. It is a a festering sore. Pride is very, very evil, very bad. And you have to really, really watch yourself about pride. And when you feel pride coming into you, you need to fast. Unless fasting is the reason that you are proud for. In that. But paying a little bit on somebody's electric bill or something like that is a good thing to do for the fiesta days and Holy Rolls. Even if it's just 5 or $10, it's a good thing to do. It's not commanded. It's a good thing to do. Because here the example in the Bible, the example is they didn't just give gifts to their friends. Also to the poor, Amen. And the fact that it says to the poor, separate from the friends, the context or the the meaning of this, the phrasing of this is talking about people that they don't know. Because your friends, you're going to have poor friends. You're going to have poor friends, and of course you take care of your poor friends. So that is separate from where it says poor, it used two different words. The fact that it used two different words lets us know that these poor people are people other than their friends, or otherwise they wouldn't phrase it this way. So it's talking about helping your friends and helping people you don't even know. You don't have to even know their name. All you need is their address. You might say, well, that particular house right there looks like poor people because of the car they drive or whatever. You might say, or because you know in that particular neighborhood is a poor neighborhood, you don't even need know that person. And you can just go to the electric company and say, this particular address, I want to pay this amount of money. And when you do this, you should not even tell the person at the counter, you should not even tell the person at the electric company that this is not you. You should act like it is you, that you are the person at the address. You don't want to go in there and and bragging and and exalting yourself and lifting up your name on high and saying, Hello, I am Mr. Don Smith, and I am here to help the poor, and I am here to put this money on this address, and I don't even know them, but I'm doing good, and I'm going to heaven. Come on now. You should go in there and act like you are that person and say, I want to pay on my electric bill. I want to pay down $10 on this bill of this address. I can't pay it all right now. I don't want to make a payment arrangement right now. All I want to do is pay this amount on this address. I don't have a bill with me. I don't have my account number with me, but this is my address. And they probably would ask your name. and." And if it's a person that you know, then yeah, you can give the name and address folks. And if they do ask your name and it's a person you don't know, then you at that time can confess that it's not your electric bill and they will still let you pay on it. It's not against the law for you to pay somebody else's bill. They will still let you pay on it if you do have to confess that you don't know the person's name and you just want to put a little money on their on their address, uh, and if they don't let you do it, ask for the manager, because there is no rule or law either one. There's no rule or law against doing it. Just ask for the manager if you have to, and they will let you do it. If not, I would be surprised. Now let's go over to the book of Joel, chapter one, and that's in the book of Prophets. page 163 in the Book of Prophets, Volume 4. Page 163, Joel, Chapter 2. Joel, Chapter 2. Verse 15, Joel 2, Verse 15 down the trumpet in Zion sanctify a fast proclaim a solemn service gather the people sanctify the congregation assemble the elders gather the infants at the breast and let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber and the bride out of her closet this is the context of the last trumpet the seventh trumpet and Jesus descends way down in the sky. He does not land on earth that day. But he does descend. Book 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 does say that he shall descend and we shall be lifted up. So we meet him in the air. And then we go back to heaven with him. This is at the trumpet. This is the context here of the bridegroom, Jesus, coming forth out of his chamber, is talking about him descending in the sky part way, and the bridegroom, or I mean, and in the last part of the verse, and the bride out of her closet. And there is a scripture, not being Isaiah, that says that during the wrath, or the day of repay, or the one year, one year of wrath rather than the last 41 and a half days one year of wrath we go into our closet to hide from the inanition in the wrath of god during the seventh seal so this is talking about us coming out of the wilderness coming out of our closet to meet the lord in the air at that trumpet we both meet each other in the air now it talks about also a day of affliction, a day of atonement, a day of wrath, a day of a one year of repay in this chapter. The sixth seal, the sun, the moon, the stars, the shaking, the earthquake, all these things, and the year of repay leading up to the day of atonement when we are called up. And it says sanctify a fast. So this is another clue about what's going to happen on this day. And it's in the context of... of judgment, but yet this weeping for one night or this weeping during the tribulation would turn into a joy, because it also talks about deliverance. This is not just judgment, it is deliverance, amen, that we are going to meet the bridegroom, be married on this date of the trumpet, the seventh trumpet. This is the date of the seventh trumpet, the Day of Atonement is. Now, let's go to one more verse, one more chapter of the Bible, and that is in the book of wisdom, the book of songs, and wisdom, the book of songs and wisdom. Let's go to that volume, the book of songs and wisdom. Now, let's turn to Psalm 30. Psalm 30. is on page 35, page 35, in volume number three, which is Book of Psalms and Wisdom. Psalm chapter 30, verse 1. Psalm chapter 30, verse (coughs) 1. For the end, a song of a poem at the delegation of the house of David. Now when it says for the end, that means for the end of the week. It can also mean for the end of a feast, an end of the fiesta, end of the day, end of the day, end of the evening, of, uh, or the end of time. It can be anything that is an end of anything. So you could read this on the seventh day because it's the end of the week. Or you can read it on the last day of a fiesta being the end of a fiesta. Or you can read it during the end times because it's for the end. The end of anything it can refer to. And it says, I will exalt you, Jesus, for you have lifted me up. He will lift us up on this day and not cause my enemies to rejoice over me. Jesus, my Theos, I cried to you. And you did heal me. We do fast for healing. We cry out for healing. And he did heal me. Jesus, you have brought up my soul from the grave. We're going to be resurrected on this day. You have delivered me from among them that go down to the pit. Praise to Jesus, you, his saints, and give thanks for the remembrance of his holiness. For anger is in his wrath, but life in his favor. Crying may tarry for the evening, but joy shall be in the morning. King James Version, we know it much more. uh, King James Translation is much more engraved into my mind. King James says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. This day of atonement. Is all about that. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy come up in the morning. We weep, we mourn, we cry, we suffer, we afflict, we starve, and we're poor, and we suffer poverty and persecution in this life. But there is a morning coming. There is a morning coming when our weeping may and will be turned to joy. We will break our fast on this day of atonement and sit down at the wedding supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. What a wonderful time that is coming on this day of atonement. You are invited. You are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. The table shall be set, and the Bible even says, That he will serve us, Jesus, our Savior. Our King will continue to be a servant to us, our kinsman redeemer. What a great and wonderful day that will be. I encourage you to worship the Lord more often and louder and more powerfully because he is worthy of all the praise that you can give him. This concludes the Day of Atonement Sermon, the special Day of Atonement Sermon for 2018. Thank you for listening. And and if you are still in a time zone that still has the Day of Atonement, it is not yet the sunrise of Saturday morning, then it is still going to be the Day of Atonement for you. until sunrise Saturday, so you got two holy days straight, um, Friday and Saturday. And um, it's still the Day of Atonement for you if it is not yet Saturday sunrise. So we'll see you tomorrow for the seventh day services, and I hope that this entire weekend will be uh, very blessed and very edifying for every one of you. Uh, do have good news. I do have good news coming from Seth. look like he is progressing toward baptism, hopefully, and it uh, does look he's headed in that direction. Keep praying for Seth. Pull him through with your fasting. That he will go through with this. It, it looks good. And I just want to double-check with him. I want to make for sure that he is ready for this, that he is counting the costs, and that he is not going to turn back. So we may be seeing a baptism very soon, hopefully. Keep praying for Seth and pull him through this. And continue to pray for him and for AJ, for meekness, uh, and for all of us around the world, and, and our prayers for you as well. Pray for Jonathan in prison. You know it's not easy to serve the Lord in prison. Be lifting Jonathan up. Do not forget him. And maintenance and AJ and Kiki and all of us uh, in this congregation and, and Nicholas in Australia as well. All right. Have a great evening and a wonderful day of atonement and a wonderful fiesta of seventh day. I'm going to call the seventh day fiesta because that's what it is, even though the Bible never calls the seventh day a fiesta. The seventh day is a holy day. It's the first one listed in Leviticus 23. The seventh day is a holy day. It's the first one listed in Leviticus 23. I'm going to call it a fiesta because it's going to be a break and a fast uh, here for us in just a few hours and then a day of celebration tomorrow, understanding that the day of... Uh, what the Day of Atonement really means more now and more this year than ever before. We can rejoice and and be a fiesta every day to the Lord. And then we're going to have the fiesta of tabernacles coming up in a few days, and all of us will be going into our tents, dwelling with the Lord in the woods and, and, and listening to the birds sing and watching the squirrels, watching nature and spending some time outdoors with Jesus Christ. What a wonderful time we can look forward to next week. And let us all of us be praying for warm weather and dry weather for all of us. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen.